So this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. And we're just going to read a couple of verses and then jump into the passage uh, that we want to look at. We'll look at several passages today. I want to give you an over, over, overview of uh, what resurrection is. It's really the unleashing of God's mighty power. Uh, there's no power greater on earth than resurrection power. And uh, I invite you to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to read just a couple of verses, verses 55 and 56. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What makes Christianity unique above all the other world religions of the world is that we worship a living Savior. We don't worship some shrine where the bones of some self-proclaimed Messiah rest. Uh, we worship at the door of an empty tomb. Jesus is alive. And he has everything under control. Trust me. There's not a thing that he's not aware of. And he wants to release his power in each of our lives as we walk worthy of the gospel. Father, speak to our hearts. Open our hearts and our minds to your truth this day. We are so thankful that you conquered death in resurrection, never again to die. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Easter is a dramatic demonstration of the awesome power of God. J.B. Phillips puts it this way that Easter, <clears throat> the joy of Easter is that we know what sort of a person God is. Our God is a God of power. On that very first resurrection day, he reached into death and he pulled out life. Jesus is alive. And of all the power forces known to man today, none is as great as resurrection power. Resurrection power is greater than air. Air is an intangible force. We can't see it, feel it, touch it. Yet we can't survive without it. Air can snap a tree in two. It can destroy a landscape, demolish a block of buildings, devastate a city. On the positive side, it can hold a plane up in the air. It can hold a space shuttle in orbit. And when appropriately harnessed and pushed through the right valves and mechanisms, air assists firefighters in extinguishing out-of-control blazes. Air enables automobile mechanics to change lug nuts on our car wheels with ease. Air empowers highway construction workers to break up huge chunks of concrete. Air is an incredible power force, but resurrection power is greater than air. Resurrection power is greater than all the electricity produced by the mighty Niagara River. It's greater than all the atomic and nuclear Power that man has harnessed to operate industries, propel submarines, rockets, and missiles. It is the greatest power force on earth because its source is the living God. 
And the New Testament writers testify with one voice that Christ was supernaturally and bodily resurrected from the grave. They're quick to point out that it is God who raised up Jesus from the grave. In Acts chapter 2, 23 and 24, Peter says, Wicked men put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. Again in chapter 2 and verse 32, Peter declares, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. And addressing the hypocritical religious leaders, the establishment of his day, the apostle Peter said, you killed the author of life, Acts chapter 3 and verse 15, but God raised him from the dead. Over and over the scriptures affirm that God is the one who raised Jesus from the grave. The apostle Paul re-echoes Peter's testimony. He asserts that the only way to experience life is to believe in God who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, Paul exclaims, By his power God raised Jesus from the dead and will raise us also. In fact, Jesus himself says, Because I live, you will live also. Now, we need to understand that when the scripture speaks about resurrection... It is not speaking about resuscitation. To resuscitate someone is to bring a person back to life when he has been pronounced clinically dead. It's interesting, as you go through the New Testament, you discover that Jesus performed three resuscitations during his earthly ministry. He brought back to life the daughter of Jairus in Luke chapter 8. He brought back to life the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7. And you'll remember he also resuscitated his dear friend Lazarus, as recorded in John chapter 11. In each of these cases, these people were brought to life only to die again. How difficult that must have been to be resuscitated and yet to die. But Jesus Christ is not a resuscitated Savior. He is a resurrected Savior. He never will die again. He is alive forevermore. He is in an eternal state of life. And so resurrection is certainly not resuscitation. Secondly, when the scriptures speak about resurrection, they're not speaking about the legacy of a remaining influence. Some human leaders live on in the minds of their followers after they have died. For example, back in 1997, when Archbishop Macarios of Cyprus died. His followers spray-painted buildings all over the place. Macarios lives. Macarios lives. Back in 1993, after the inferno that wiped out that Branch Davidian complex in Waco, Texas, along with cult leader David Koresh and a number of his followers, those still loyal to Koresh went everywhere saying, Koresh lives, Koresh lives. But Jesus is not a remaining influence or a fond memory. He is the resurrected Lord. He is the one who encouraged his disciples, look at my hands, look at my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. 
A ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see that I have in Luke chapter 24 and verse 39. Jesus is not only resurrected at a specific time in human history, but the Bible makes it very clear that he remains in a risen state never again to die and our resurrected Lord is at the Father's own right hand even at this moment making intercession for each one of us. And we have come here to worship at the door of an empty tomb. Our God, our Savior, is alive forevermore. Though resurrection is not resuscitation or the carrying on of a remaining influence, resurrection is a revelation of God's awesome power. John Stott, in his book, The Contemporary Christian, puts it this way, quote, the resurrection was a dynamic act of God by which he arrested the natural process of decay and decomposition, rescued Jesus out of the realm of death and changed his body into a new vehicle for his personality, endowed with new powers and possessing immortality. You see, it's the resurrection that gives our faith substance. God's power is real. In fact, the apostle says, if Christ is not risen, our faith is in vain. Everything we do in vain. Our whole premise of Christianity is based on the fact that God loves us, that he sent his son into the world to die for us, and that that same Jesus was resurrected, and he alone can give us eternal life. Not only does resurrection assure us that God's power is real, it sets Christianity far above the, the maddening skepticism of our world. Leighton Ford, an evangelist with Billy Graham, observes that there is a new religion that has emerged among the skeptics of our day, which could be described as nothing but. It says that our Christian faith is nothing but wishful thinking. If a teenager is converted... It's nothing but a phase of adolescence. If an older person is convicted, it's nothing but senility and aging. Martin Luther's faith to this new religion of skepticism was nothing but the result of a neurotic personality. St. Augustine's conversion to Christ was nothing but his attempt to regain the love of his mother, which he lost during his wild youth. The skeptics say that sin is nothing but a psychological hang-up and conversion is nothing but a quirk of the maladjusted. But in the face of that kind of absurdity and skepticism, Easter says, come on, my friend, examine the evidence, check it out for yourself, do some digging into the historical records and you will discover that the reality of Christ's resurrection is etched in human history. Josh McDowell, in his book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, put it this way, the resurrection must be one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted on the minds of men, or it is the most fantastic fact of history. And as we study the facts, as we do our deep dive into the scriptures, into the historical documents, we come away with this wonderful reality that Jesus Christ is alive, 
never again to die. Not only does resurrection assure us that God's power is real and sets Christianity above the maddening skepticism of the world, resurrection power is God's way of interrupting the pointless trivia of our lives. Psychologist Roland Rollo May describes the meaningless existence of many in his book, Man's Search for Himself. This is how he describes many in our world today. Quote, the clearest picture of the empty life is the man who gets up at the same hour every weekday morning, takes the same train to work in the city, performs the same task at the office, lunches at the same place, leaves the same tip for the waitress each day, comes home at the same train, on the same train each night, has 2.3 children, goes to church every Christmas and Easter, and moves through a routine of mechanical existence year after year until he finally retires at 65 and very soon thereafter dies of heart failure. That's the routine that many people are in. There's no meaning to life. They just are going through the motions. They have not discovered what real life is because they have left the resurrected Lord out of their lives. And the tragedy of Easter is that on an Easter Sunday like this, many will come to church, but they have never yet personally taken advantage of what Christ provided when he died on the cross and laid down his life so that they could be free from the burden and the bondage of sin and experience life, abundant life, through a resurrected Savior. And as we take a look at the Easter message today, there are three areas in which our lives are dramatically altered because of the resurrection. First of all, resurrection reveals God's power to conquer death. You see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 56. The part that I want you to focus on is in verse 57, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's face it. Death is something that comes to all of us. Whether we're young or old, rich or poor, death is a reality that every single one of us must deal. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then after that the judgment. Each of us have an appointment with death. The Bible says that there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. The late French philosopher Jean Paul Sartre once argued that since death is absurd, one ought not even to think about it. Bernard Shaw, the English playwright, observed that the ultimate statistic in life is the same one out of one dies, unquote. But both these individuals, Sartre and Shaw, are wrong. Death is not an absurdity. To the contrary, death is an awesome reality. Indeed, the scriptures remind us that as death finds us, so eternity will keep us. Moreover, the ultimate statistic in life is that the one... Jesus Christ died in order that the many, you and I, may live. And through the power of Jesus Christ, 
and the power of God, Jesus defeated death at the cross. He experienced death not as a, a martyr to show how a good man would die. He actually became our sin substitute. All of our sin was transferred to the body of Jesus on that cross. He didn't die for his own sins. He, did, he died for your sins and mine. Not only did he die for us, but he also was resurrected. Jesus himself says in John 11, 25 and 26, I am, I myself am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never, no, never die. And through Christ, death has been forever defeated. Christ has slammed the door on the grim reaper. And though death comes to all of us because of our humanness, the sting of death is gone. And this is what Paul is referring to here in verse 55 when he says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's a well-known fact that a worker bee can only sting once. That sharp stinger has so many barbs that that stinger stays in our skin, but it is removed from that worker bee. That worker bee is now a bee without a stinger. It can still buzz us and irritate us, but it cannot sting us. And Paul says that the sting of death is sin, but Christ in bearing our sins has taken the bee sting we deserved. He has taken it for us. He has made it possible for us to be free and no longer under the sentence of death. Yes, death comes to all, but it cannot injure or hurt those of us who have embraced Jesus Christ because the sooner we die, the quicker we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at heaven's door. And those who trust Christ completely, death is not an ending. It is just the beginning of a whole brand new life with Jesus Christ. In Paul's words, notice in 15 and verse 54, death has been swallowed up in victory. There was a man who was walking through an art gallery in Glasgow, Scotland, and he was watching a young boy who was making note of various pictures of the crucifixion. And after watching the young boy for a while and then watching how intently he was gazing upon these pictures, the older gentleman put his hand on the young boy's shoulder and he said, well, young man, what is that a portrait of? The young man said, oh, Sir, don't you know, that's our Lord dying on the cross. He's bearing our sins. The man patted the young lad on his shoulder and went about looking at some of the other artwork. And suddenly the man felt a tug on his coat. And there was that young lad. And the young lad looked at him and he said, pardon me, sir, I forgot one thing. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. He is alive. Resurrection reveals God's power to conquer death. 
Number two, resurrection reveals God's power to change the direction of our lives. You may want to flip over to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, but it's interesting that the great philosopher Plato put it this way. He said, he was asked a question, if a man dies, shall he live again? And Plato's answer was, I hope so, but no man can know. He had no certainty that there would be any such thing as life after death. Yoko Ono, the widow of the late John Lennon, at the time of his untimely death, she, she lamented with these words, may his soul rest in peace wherever it is. You see, those that have no personal relationship to Jesus Christ, they have no certainty of life after death. They have no, no concept of eternal life because they have ignored the one who can give eternal life, yes, the resurrected Savior. And you'll note here in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 9, we have indication that resurrection is what changes the direction of our lives. Notice that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and here's the key phrase, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There is certainty. We will be saved, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, that is, declared righteous, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You see, salvation becomes real when we acknowledge Jesus is Lord. That word Jesus means Jehovah saves. And the title Lord speaks of his deity, that he is God. Only God can cleanse and forgive our sins. Only God can offer forgiveness through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Some feel like that's a, a, a statement that we should never say. And yet that is how the Bible reveals Jesus to us. Jesus put it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's through personal faith in Jesus Christ that the direction of our lives are changed. You can go down through the annals of time. More recently, there have been so many individuals who have come to the end of themselves. And when they have come to the end of themselves and they have actually turned toward God and begun to study the scriptures, they have discovered that Jesus Christ actually is a person who loved them and who died for them and who was resurrected for them. I think of Frank Morrison. He was out to disprove the resurrection. He was doing everything he possibly could to kill off this idea that there was ever such a thing as resurrection. But the more he discovered the facts, the more he looked at the historical documents, he became convinced that Jesus Christ was alive. And he wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? One of the greatest defenses of the resurrection. I could talk to you about Chuck Colson and Lee Strobel 
and others whose lives have been dramatically altered because they put their faith in what Christ has done for them. And my friend, he can change the direction of your life this morning. You may have come with all kinds of problems and difficulties and, and issues. You don't know which way to turn. Easter tells us if we will turn to God, the resurrected Lord will meet us at the point of our need. And if we confess him as Lord and Master and believe that God raised him from the dead, this morning can be a time in which you yourself can personally have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, resurrection reveals God's power to compel us to supernatural living. Over in Philippians, <clears throat> the third chapter, Paul makes a dramatic statement. He says in verse 9, or excuse me, verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, underscore that, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Resurrection reveals God's power to conquer death, his power to change the direction of our lives. And it also reveals that resurrection power is available to us every single day to compel us to live this supernatural life that God has called us to in Christ Jesus. I think that many of us have the mistaken idea that supernatural living is something that's way out in the far distant future. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that that power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every single one of us as we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. And Paul says very clearly, there's one passion that I have. This passion is greater than anything else in life. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know that power that resurrected Jesus from the grave so that I can live this supernatural life that I've been given through Christ. His passion is to know him personally. Paul wasn't content with a, with a casual acquaintanceship with Jesus. That word know is he wants to know him intimately. He wants to, to know him so well that Christ's life is something that is reverberating in his life on a daily basis. And as we read the epistles of Paul, we're impressed with the heavy emphasis that he places on the resurrection, not only as a fact of history, but as a power source that enabled him to live triumphantly. Resurrection power, I believe, empowers us for supernatural living in three ways. Number one, it enables us to walk in newness of life. Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live, here it is, underline it in chartreuse, in newness of life, that we too may live a new life. You see, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the old is past. The old has been covered with the blood of Christ. And we have received the very nature of God. And part of that nature is the resurrection power of Jesus. 
We have a new life. We ought not to be walking around defeated, discouraged, always feeling sorry for ourselves. A resurrected Savior is in us. He's given us new life to live triumphantly for Him on a daily basis. It enables us to walk in newness of life. Number two, it strengthens us to stand firm in our skirmishes with Satan. Let me tell you today, friend, that we are in a spiritual battle. And yes, the forces of darkness have always been present, but they are becoming more visible every passing day. That's why it's so important that every single one of us clothe ourselves with the armor of God. That we put on that helmet of salvation and that breastplate of righteousness and we have that shield of faith and we have the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. To be strengthened means that we can stand up to anything that the devil throws at us. We don't have to be pawns in the devil's hands. There's too many of us that think that we don't have any power when we're facing the enemy. Hey, hey. <laughs> Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful. See, he always has to answer to the sovereign authority of the living God. You see, Satan was defeated at the cross. Jesus defeated this one who did everything in his power to keep him from going to the cross. If you'll study the New Testament over and over again, the enemy did everything he possibly could so Jesus would not go to that cross. Take a look at that bumpy road to Bethlehem. Mary's about ready to give birth. Can you imagine as a pregnant woman riding on a donkey for that period of time? It's a, almost a desire to abort Jesus before he was born. You take a look at the experience that he had on the Sea of Galilee when that storm came up and these seasoned disciples that were seamen were scared out of their minds because of what was happening Jesus is down the bow of the boat absolutely sound asleep and they go down wake him up and Jesus simply got up and he spoke to the wind and to the waves and he said be still in the original language, it's very clear that there was demonic activity behind that storm. The enemy was doing everything he could to keep Jesus from going to the cross. Take a look at how Satan tempted him when he took him up to the temple and showed him all these things. I'll give you all these things if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus defeated the enemy with scripture. He defeated him. And Satan has been defeated. He is not all-powerful. He always must answer to the resurrection power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then number three, resurrection power guards and sustains us when we are weak and seemingly have no strength. Let me be honest with you this morning. The Christian life is not easy. It's hard. 
And there are times when we think we cannot take another step. There have been times in my life when I thought I could not do what God was asking me to do. But it's at that moment in my weakness, that is when resurrection power becomes my strength. And it is that resurrection power that enables us, no matter what the enemy throws at us, to keep our eyes on Jesus. You take a look at what the Apostle Paul experienced in his life. He didn't have an easy life. You can read all about it in 1 Corinthians 11. I mean, he went for days without food. He was naked. Had no clothes. He was shipwrecked. He was given up to be dead. He was robbed. He was beaten. He experienced all kinds of affliction because of his identity to Jesus Christ. And yet, it was that resurrection power that kept him going. And my friend, it is that resurrection power that keeps us going when our backs are up against the wall and we don't know which way to turn. Therefore, a defeated, discouraged, despondent Christian, I believe, is a contradiction in terms. To join the Easter choir and chorus and say, He is risen without being able to shout to, I am risen. I am part of this incredible family, the family of God. Christ has done something new and fresh in my life, and I'm living it out every single day because Christ is my passion and he is my joy. But for that kind of resurrection power to be released in our lives, we have to leave what I'm calling the High Achievers Club. And you see Paul talking about the High Achievers Club here in Philippians. Chapter 3, if you'll notice, beginning at verse 7. Paul, I mean, he, he had a lot of stuff going for him. He was, he was, uh, yeah, he was part of the Achievers Club. Notice, he says, but whatever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them relish. Notice that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Paul, instead of trusting in his own works, his own do-goodisms, instead of putting all of his trust in his family background, in his status, and everything that was important to him, he turned his back on all that so that he could experience the resurrection power of God. And my friend, this morning, the most important decision that any of us will ever make is the decision to put our trust 
and the one who was resurrected for us. G.B. Hardy, a Canadian scientist, asked two questions of any religious system. Number one, did anyone ever conquer death? And number two, did he make a way for me to do it? You see, Easter answers both of those questions. Our Lord declares, Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. Here it is. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And this one who is alive forever and ever promises eternal life to all of us. The hope of heaven to all of us. Because he says in John chapter 14 and verse 19, because I live, you will live also. I don't know about you, but that's what I need today. I need to have an awareness that this resurrected power is not something out in the far distant future. It's something that I can rely on every single day because Christ is risen. You see, Christ is risen, that's history. Christ is risen for you, that is history making. Some of you this morning need to make some history by bowing at the foot of the cross and letting the resurrected Lord be your Savior, your Lord and your Master. Let's stand together, please, for closing prayer. <clears throat> Why don't you all to bow your heads? No looking around. This is a quiet moment. I don't know where you all are this morning, but God does. There are some of you, you've heard the Easter story over and over and over again. But for some reason, it's never really sunk in. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You recognize that you need a Savior. All you have to do is simply pray a very simple prayer. Lord, I need you. I recognize that my sins have separated me from you. But this morning I confess my sin. And you promised, Lord, that if we would confess our sins, you would forgive us and you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to cleanse me this morning. Take out the old and put in the new so that every single day I can live with an awareness that the living Christ is with me wherever I go in any conversation that I have in any circumstance that I face I'm never alone you the resurrected Savior are right by my side and so Lord I I want you in my life. Please come in. 
and save me. I acknowledge that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only one who can take away the sins of the world, the only one who can give eternal life because you were resurrected never again to die. Just take a few moments. If you need to pray something like that, or maybe you're a Christ follower and maybe you haven't been living the way you know you should be living. You haven't been experiencing resurrection power in your life because you've been doing things on your terms, not God's. But this morning you're surrendering yourself to the living God. If you need to do that. Maybe you just need to make a renewal of your commitment to him. Whatever you need to do this morning on this Easter Sunday, the resurrected Lord wants to do something for you today that you could never do for yourself. So whatever your need is, just talk to Jesus. Before I have closing prayer, if there are those of you that say, Pastor, God has spoken to my heart. I want you to pray for me. You may want to even take one of those connection cards and jot down your name and way in which we can get in touch with you. We say, Pastor, I need Jesus. And Pastor, I want to renew my commitment to you. Please pray for me. With all of our heads bowed, if... God has spoken to any of you like that. Will you just please lift up your hand and then put it down? Just take a few moments. Anyone like that? God has spoken to my heart. I want to experience his resurrection life. Okay. Father in heaven, we love you so much. We can't even begin to repay all that you have done for us. On this Resurrection Sunday, Lord, we have come with an open heart and an open mind to receive your truth. And as we leave here, Lord, we leave in the strong name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And so I pray that for everyone that the Holy Spirit has nudged, Lord, continue your work in their hearts and may they find rest as they put their hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, the one who loved them and has been resurrected for them so they could experience the joy of heaven and peace with God. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Happy Resurrection Day. God bless all of you. <laughs>